0: All right. Well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here with us this week. I want to welcome you. If you're joining us online or at one of the campuses or one of the correctional facilities, the messages are broadcasted in wherever in the world you might be. We are excited that you're here. It blows my mind to be a part of Seacoast because every week we'll have every state in the U.S. represented joining us online 40 to 50 countries, in addition to all the campuses and regular folks that call Seacoast home. David on our production team was traveling the last two weeks, and uh, this morning he said, man, it's just so good to be back. Mike said, you know you can watch that online, right? And he's like, yeah, but there's something about being in the space. Can you join me and just praise God for our worship team, our production teams, all the folks that make a service happen? Man, so thankful for you and just so blessed to call, call Seacoast home. Well, hey, I want to take just a minute to speak To the year end. I know many of you are thinking about praying about year end giving. Back in October, Pastor Josh gave some vision for legacy projects that. We just believe as a church that we're, we feel called to. We've got some expansion projects, a, a new home being built on our John's Island campus that we're real excited about in Somerville and Greenville and Manning opportunities. And what really excites me about those, I remember when Katie and I first moved to Charleston, man, it was a busted, broken season. in our marriage, we roll up to the North Charleston campus and there was a place For us, people had given sacrificially to establish a home there in North Charleston. And man, we encountered the power and presence of God. And any time we do that with a church facility, it's our way of telling the community, hey, we are committed to being here, to being a light in this community. So just so thankful for your faithfulness and generosity and giving with John's Island in particular it's especially exciting. We had a family give a million dollar match of which we have about $360,000 remaining on that, that match. So for every dollar... You give, it'll be doubled. So if you're praying through impact, you can make, man, that's twice the impact there. There's some global missions projects that I'm real excited about. We're going to be translating the Bible into the Eastern Punjabi language partnering with One Hope there for 48 million people that speak that language in Pakistan and India that don't have the Bible in their native tongue. So just a bunch of different opportunities. If you want to read more about each of them, if you'd like to give towards that match on John's Island, all you have to do is go to seacoastlegacy.org for more information. There, I want to take just a minute, pray over all those projects, pray over our time together today as we get in the word. Join me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you've done and just celebrate The generosity of our people of this church to think that today people have given $2.9 million towards these projects just shows me you are going to continue to blow us away. You're going to do more than we could ask or imagine as each of us do what you've called us to. So we just pray into each of those. Pray for that future home on the Johns Island campus that for generations to come, God, your kingdom would continue to expand through Seacoast. We pray over our time together today, and I just pray that today would be more than just the routine of showing up. Maybe we came with a friend. Maybe we come all the time. I just pray that you would just bring a spirit of peace over our hearts. God, that you would minister to us today that we might leave saying, man, we encountered God and we're just surprised by your presence. So show up in power. Open our hearts. We pray in Jesus name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, to quote everyone's favorite music group, the Spice Girls. <laughs> tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Right. We are almost to Christmas. I know some of you, you're either populating your wish list, you're waiting on some things to come in the mail, or you are uh, like our family running all over the place buying Christmas gifts. Katie and I have eight kids, well, technically seven, eight if you count me in the list, which she often does. And I know this time of year, man, we are running all over the place, buying gifts, ordering gifts, waiting on things to come in. Earlier this week, I was sitting in our kitchen uh, preparing for the message, and my son Asher walked into the, the kitchen and said, Hey, Dad, do you have, you have a minute to, uh, to talk? I was like, Yeah, bud, what's up? And uh, he sat down. And he was carrying a cup of coffee, which was interesting. He just started drinking coffee this week as a 12-year-old. And uh, so he, he sits down and he holds up his coffee so as to like, Toast me, cheers me, you know, whatever. And so I was like, you know, we hit cups and he says, look at us. Two men sitting in the kitchen talking about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I got, what's, what's up, buddy? Well, in our house, we do a want, a need and an experience. So something you want, something you need, a pair of shoes, clothes, and then a, an experience. Concert, caroling, you know, something that you'd like to do, to create a memory together. And so he says, Dad, I want to talk with you about my want uh, for Christmas. Do you remember, you remember what I wanted? And I was like, yep, you wanted a Nintendo Switch. And he said, well, that's correct. But I also wanted the, the Pro Controller to be able to play it and Animal Crossing and Super Mario Odyssey and the, the docking station that, that will charge them. And then that Zelda, the Zelda carrying case to put it in. And I was like, buddy, that's a want prize pack, we do a want, you know, like you just told me seven things I would suggest you want the more expensive item and then tell Nani, Mimi, Poppy, friends, anybody about all those other little things, games and whatnot, because we can't be getting a bunch of a bunch of wants. And he says, Dad, if there's one thing I know about Santa is that he doesn't disappoint. (laughs) I think like I'm screwed. I know what's happening here. Like you're adorable, you're manipulative. Oh gosh, you know. So he walked away and I laughed at the whole like production of what just went down. But then I started thinking, I was like, this isn't the first time I bought a switch prize pack. Like we had this whole conversation a couple years ago. And it reminded me that this past summer on vacation, we're unloading, I'm getting all the electronics, put back up, kids stuff, and I was like, Ash, where's your switch, buddy? He was like, Oh. I lost it. It's like you what? It's like you tell a brother on vacation so I can find it. It's like it's gone. What are, you know? What are, we're not flying back. What are we going to do? And I just realized, had the thought of like, man, as we head into this Christmas season for all the wants, needs, gifts we're going to buy. If you were to think back as to what was on your wish list 10 years ago, chances are at this point, it's either been lost or stolen or broken. You've given it away or passed it on to goodwill or something of that nature. And that is just the case with the gifts of this world. Can you relate to that? Even the most valuable of things wear out, break down, you get rid of and pass on at some point. But that is not the case in the kingdom of God. And that's really what this series is all about. Our Heavenly Father has given us some gifts that we might taste a little bit of heaven on earth, that we might be a light in the darkness, that we might walk around carrying the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, that as people interact with us they would say, man, there's something different about that guy. And the gift we're going to spend some time to talk about today is the gift of peace. How many of you would say you could use a little bit of peace this Christmas season running around man life is chaotic. Well, Jesus talks about this gift of peace in John 14, 26 and 27. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He doesn't give as the world gives the world gives in ways that that are temporary, right? We just talked about it. The gifts break down, wear out, get lost or broken. The world gives as you're deserving of it, right? If, if you've earned a gift, the world gives within your socioeconomic status, right? I'm not going to give you anything extravagant or crazy, but what you've earned, what you deserve, what's reasonable for you. But Jesus doesn't give as the world gives. Man, he gives generously. He lavishes his love, in this case, his peace out on us. And it got me thinking, like, as I look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was the prince of peace, 100% man, 100% God. He experienced difficult days, stressful situations. The Bible tells us that, that he was without sin. And so as I look at his life, I'm like, man, how did he experience those things and yet also have peace? And I think it's found in two different words, silence and solitude over and over in the ministry of Jesus. We saw him withdraw from the crowds, withdraw from the chaos to practice silence and solitude that he might hear from his father, be comforted by his father, that he might walk in peace. For example, when he heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he handled a tough emotion like grief in Matthew fourteen thirteen, it says, when Jesus heard he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place in preparation for a busy day, knowing that he had a full long day of ministry coming. We read in Mark 1:35 at 37, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody is looking for you. That's when you know it's going to be a busy day, Right. Your feet hit the floor. Everybody's coming at you. The phone's ringing. The kids are wanting to eat. Kids are wanting to eat again. Always eating kids, right? It's like, everybody's looking for you. Come on, get down here. It's like, man, Jesus knew it's going to be a stressful day. So he withdrew. For some solitude and silence to be encouraged by his father. After a busy day of work in Mark 6 31, it says, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And then in preparation to step into his purpose as he faced the cross there in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done over and over and over. We saw him nourish his soul. We saw that it was where and how he taught the disciples bookending the day. When he received tough news, man, this practice of solitude and silence was a regular part of his life. Now, we're all here in some capacity because we want to learn about and walk in the ways of Jesus. So I'm curious if we were to grab a cup of coffee and do a solitude and silence assessment on your life from 2022. Looking back, how many of you would say, man, when it came to solitude and silence, I crushed it. Any hands? Now, there's a murmur, right? We laugh a little bit, but as we look around, there ain't a hand in the room, and I can't help but wonder if the Prince of Peace walked in peace, if it's a gift that he's extended to us, yet none of us would say we're very good at solitude and silence. Might there be a gap between how we are receiving this gift from God and what he actually desires for us? And I was talking to some friends this week about solitude and silence. I was like, hey, how do you do with solitude and silence? And one of my buddies said, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, yeah, that's a scary place. It's like, man, I won't be stressed. And all of a sudden I'll be realize I'm riding in the car without the radio on and I'll start thinking about stuff. And then all of a sudden I'll be stressed. <laughs> so, so I don't do solitude and silence. I was like, man, well, I get that. <laughs> For some of you, it, it might be because of the season of life you're in. Maybe you just had a baby or You just moved. Life feels chaotic right now, and it can be really difficult to find some solitude or silence. Maybe for some of you, it's the demand of your jobs. Man, I know some of you guys, you're up by four at the office by 530, working six or seven days a week. It can be really difficult to find solitude and silence. We live in a culture where we're constantly bombarded by stuff. But the question is, if God has extended this gift to us, If he paid for it in full, man, I want every bit of it that he has for me. I don't want to walk around, you know, beat up by the worries of the day. I don't want to be weighed down carrying stuff that he wants to carry, right? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He wants to do the heavy lifting for us that we would live worry-free lives, finding peace in him. But we've got to get good at solitude and silence. Well, just like anything else in your life, as you head into the new year, if you wanted to go to new levels personally in your fitness or intellect or whatever it may be, if you're going to build a house, right, you would come up with a plan to execute on the things that matter most. And experiencing peace is no different. Paul in Philippians 4, 4 through 9 gives us a plan for peace, some steps that we can take. To help ensure we step into this gift that Jesus has paid for. I want to read it to you starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So a plan for peace. What can I do practically to help ensure that I receive this gift extended by Jesus? The first thing is to make the choice To rejoice, make the choice to rejoice. How many of you know it's a choice to rejoice? You can be walking through a difficult season, a difficult diagnosis, have a wayward child, be unemployed. You can walk through some difficult, painful, unexpected stuff in life and still have the ability to rejoice in the Lord. Now, what's unique about that word is unless you're singing a Christmas song or maybe reading a Bible, it's really not a word that we use very much, right? I guarantee you, after the Clemson Carolina game, if you talk to a Carolina fan, how you doing, man? I'm just rejoicing in that big <laughs> Like, and you're also weird. <laughs> Stop that. <right? laughs> so it's one of those words we can use and not necessarily even know what it means. By definition, it means to have or possess, to feel great joy or delight. So Paul is saying not rejoice in your promotion, rejoice in your friends, rejoice in your accomplishments. All those things are fickle, right? And if you rejoice in those, if you feel great delight in those, you're going to crash just as hard whenever you fail and or lose them. But he's saying rejoice in the one who is unchanging, have great delight When you think about him, what comes to mind? A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And think about this practically here. If you were to envision your best friend, whoever that might be, or your spouse, or anytime you have something to celebrate, or you want to go out and have fun, the person that you go do it with. When you think about them, maybe you recall some memories. I think about Tim Lindsay, for example. I know that. He's going to encourage me. I always come away from him encouraged. I know he's going to be loud. I know he's going to hug me. When I think about him, a smile comes to my face. Well, imagine if when you think about a friend or if when I thought about Tim, I thought, man, he's always so discouraging. He just seems angry. Like he's going to come hugging all up on me, you know, and like if you thought about him in a negative light, you wouldn't want to spend time with that person. Right. Well, the same is true of God. If you close your eyes and just think about his countenance, if he has a fur in his brow, if he looks angry at you, if he's got a finger pointed at you, if he's shaking his head, like, come on, Walter, seriously again, right? You're not wanna go, you're not gonna to wanna to spend time with him, right? But when we rejoice in the Lord, if we have or possess great delight when we think about him, I mean we're not gonna be afraid to bring him anything. We're not gonna be afraid to go and spend time with them, and, and even more, the more time we spend with them as we rejoice in the Lord, it brings about change in our lives. That's why Paul goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I like the message translation of that in Philippians 4, 5 it says, make it as clear as you can to tell all that you mean that you are on their side, working with them and not against them. Man, the more we rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what circumstances that we're walking through, the world is going to take note. They're going to see that there's something different about us, that we're walking in a peace that they don't have. There'll be a gentleness that comes over us. The spirit of God can smooth out those rough edges of our lives. But the first step in this plan for peace, if we're going to experience it this Christmas, is that regardless of what we're walking through, we've got to make the choice to rejoice. Second step we can take is to flip the script on worry, flip the script on worry. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. Have you ever heard that phrase, flip the script? It just means to reverse the situation, right? And I realize for some of you, Paul saying, do not be anxious about anything. Man, it almost sounds cruel because I know there's some folks that anxiety and worry has such a stronghold in your life that you might need to see a counselor or a psychologist or take medication, those things are needed and good where there's need. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the everyday worries that we can allow to just consume us. We've got to flip the script on those. If you've got time to worry about it, how many know you've got time to pray about it, right? But if you're anything like me, I can drive home at the end of the day and and a thought just be seated in my mind and I can spend 20 minutes flipping that thing over. How am I going to? What am I going to? Who can I call? How do I, right? I can worry about it the whole way home and not have prayed about it once. Two realities are at play here. You can either have big problems and a small God or small problems and a big God, but you can't have both. I remember a couple of years ago, like 14 of you, like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, I remember a couple of years ago, Bobby Barr, Lisa Surratt's mom, was in the hospital. And wasn't feeling good at all. Doctor came in and, and said, um, "Family's all there around them, surrounded the bed. Doctor says, man, we don't know what kind of cancer it is, but you have a cancerous tumor in your, in your chest. And Pastor Josh was talking about it as if the air just left the room. And uh, immediately, man, he was like, I felt like the room was spinning. Like, I can't believe we just heard that word. There was just that silence. And the, the doctor walks out. And as he walked out, Bobby was the first one to speak up. And she said, Well, that doesn't sound like a very big problem for God. I'm just thinking, like, Man, she has got a bad. Now we got the whole room. That's what I'm talking about. But it just gave me language for my problems. Because all too often, my sin nature, my tendency, whatever you call it, is for my problem to be so big. It's all encompassing, it's all consuming. And Paul is saying, man, we got to flip the script on that. Your God is so much bigger than your problems. If you're sick, he's your healer. If you're broke, he's your provider. If you're alone, he's your friend. You tell me the need and God is the solution. He will show up for you. But we've got to flip the script on our worry. Have a big God because that's who he is. And we will walk in peace. So I've got to make the choice to rejoice. I've got to flip the script on worry. The third step in a plan for peace is to think about your thoughts. Think about your thoughts. In verse eight, he said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, like he's digging deep, right? Whatever is positive, even remotely good. You know, he ends it up by saying, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, right? He's saying, don't give time to the Thoughts that are going to rob you of life or rob you of joy of anything, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about that. I love the way he says it in 2 Corinthians ten five. says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's almost like a militant nature to it, to where I am a soldier and my thoughts are a violent intruder. Right? How many of you would agree with that? Like you can be riding up the road and all of a sudden thinking about crazy stuff that's stressful or discouraging, seeding fear into your spirit. And Paul's saying, well, You got to take those things captive. As you see that thought coming across, it's like, Hey, who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing with those bags? It looks like you want to stay a while. You got friends with you? <laughs> you know, like, where are you planning on going? You got to take them captive. If somebody rolled into your house this afternoon and, and walked into the kitchen, made a bowl of cereal, came and sat with you on the couch. You wouldn't be like, huh? You know who that is? (laughs) What 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 are you doing here, bro? Like you'd kick them out. We've got to do the same with our thoughts. We've got to think about our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Man, if the way that you're thinking about yourself, oftentimes I'm so critical of myself. I may not always say it out loud, but I'll have thoughts like you loser. Idiot. Idiot and Bozo are my like go-to names. And anytime Lena's around me, she'll she'll go, <clears throat> if I say like, oh, you idiot, <clears throat> I'm like, you child of God, you blessed, loved, forgiven, <laughs> redeemed, <laughs> like, because she's she's called me on it. What you think about eventually is gonna come out of your mouth. It's another reason it's so important. Think about your thoughts. Whatever is true, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, anything. It's like that. Think about those things, but don't entertain negativity. Don't allow yourself to rob yourself of the peace that he wants to offer. We've got to take that step, though, to think about, man, why am I thinking so negatively today? Like, I'm going to flip the script on that. I'm going to reverse it. So make the choice to rejoice. Flip the script on worry. Think about your thoughts. And number four, predetermine best practice. Paul said in verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. First Corinthians 11 one, He said it this way. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And as I think about significant life change that I've experienced in just about any area spiritually, as a father, as a husband, God's put men in my life To embody it so that I don't have to question, what does it look like for me to be generous? What does it look like for me to be servant hearted? There are names of men that come to mind that I can walk in their example. I can do the things that they've done. And peace, our ability to walk in peace, is just about always gonna be tied to some behaviors. Much like we see in Jesus here with solitude and silence, Paul was saying, hey, remember the life that I tried to walk out before you. It doesn't have to be a mystery. Here of what this thing looks like. Do the things that you saw me do. Do the things you heard me talk about. Walk that out and you will experience peace. I was talking with a buddy this week and just said, hey, about how he experiences peace. And he was like, well, man, I've got a, I've got a peace team. I was like, really? What is that? You know, he said, well, I've got, a, I've got a counselor. I've got a psychologist. I got a spiritual director. I got these two dads that I taught. He, went, he talked through this like litany of people that he meets with regularly, he studies their lives, he receives wisdom from them, and then he walks those things out. I was like, man, that's a squad, right? I like the idea of a peace team. I'm going to get me one of those, right? But if we'll identify who are the people in our life that embody the attributes that honor God, that look life giving, that they, they seem to have a spirit of peace about them, look a little closer. What are they doing? And walk that out for yourself. You know, Katie, a couple years ago, she had always wanted to be a UN peacekeeper, and uh, she has like no fear of walking into hostile environments with scary people uh, to help negotiate, have conversation. And so she envisioned herself going into hostile countries and pulling together village leaders and. I don't even know what you do at that point, but but she loved the idea, and so a couple of years ago she was in Togo and was invited to a UN peacekeepers meeting at the embassy, and she was like, "This is it, God's to do it." I told you, I knew, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a UN peacekeeper. So she was excited to go learn about what it looked like, and as she walked in the room, every person in the room was some kind of military general, full garb, all of their pins. Like, she did not fit in the environment. Walked in in a Francis and Benedict skirt and a pretty blouse, like, hey, <laughs> you know, like, this is not what I thought it was. And so she starts to connect with one of the uh, colonels there and she says, Well, this was my vision. I've always wanted to be a UN peacekeeper and talked about going into hostile environments, whatever, whatever. And he laughed and he says, Sweetheart, peace is never talked about, it's always fought for. I thought, Man, when it comes to peace, in each of our lives, how much does that resonate? We talk about peace. We read about peace. Come this time of year, we, we sing about peace. But all too often, we're not feeling peace in our hearts. Yet Jesus has paid for a price for each of us. He's extended it and said, I don't give as the world gives. I want to lavish this peace on you. Man, what a shame it would be this Christmas season for us to walk through this time of year carrying around a gift that he's extended to us. And not having ripped that thing open and made it our own. But in order for us to be a people that are marked by peace, that walk in peace and experience it, not just know about it. Intellectually, there's some things we've got to do. We've got to be willing to make the choice to rejoice, to flip the script on worry. Let our God be bigger than our problems. We got to think about our thoughts. Oftentimes the fight for peace happens between our ears, right? It's not fighting someone else. It's fighting me to see myself and think about others the way that God does. Got to think about our thoughts and then predetermine best practice. Look at the people around us that are living the life, embodying the gifts and attributes of God that we desire, and then model our lives after them. Peace is never just talked about. It's never negotiated. It is always a fight. And if we'll take the steps, execute on the plan, we will receive and walk in the peace That Jesus paid for. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of peace this Christmas season. And I I can't help but think about asking who crushed it in solitude and silence this year. And not a hand in the room went up. And so, God, we just say we repent for succumbing to culture in those ways. I love staying busy and being on the run. And it, it can feel productive. It can feel challenging and hard to withdraw to give time to solitude and silence, but God, we desperately want the gift of peace, peace of mind, peace in our hearts that when our head hits the pillow at night, often it's the first moments of silence and subconsciously so much stuff starts coming up. God, I just speak peace over each of those stressors. I speak peace over the financial need and strain. I speak peace over medical conditions that are scary. I speak peace over family situations that are broken and busted. Would you, the Prince of Peace, just come alongside of us by your spirit and allow us to not just know about peace, but to experience it this Christmas season. In Jesus name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new here to Seacoast, this is my favorite part of every service. I want to invite you to consider two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? And for some of you today... You're not going to be able to experience peace until you encounter the Prince of Peace, until you encounter the person who who gave us this gift. And so maybe the next step for you today is to go to a cross. You can write your name on a sheet of paper and in your own words, just pray this prayer. God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the grave conquering sin that I might have a relationship with God through Christ, you can pray that prayer and your own words and the spirit of God will come upon you and help bring peace into your life for others today. Maybe you're walking through some difficult situations, some uncertain situations. You don't know how you're going to provide or maybe a healing or relational thing. You can come to see a member of our prayer team or elders. They would love to speak God's word over you, anoint you with oil, just pray with you in confidence for others. Maybe you want to go light a candle. Maybe you're burdened by a friend or loved one that you know is just lacking peace this season, you can light a candle and just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be with them, that they might receive the peace they desperately need. After we've had some time to respond, we'll sing and celebrate an awesome God and give our offerings together. So what's he saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Let's respond.